I'm Mike Levin. I'm running for Congress, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollimore. I'm Harley Ruda, and I'm running for the 48th District of California, and I never, ever listen to I Doubt It with Dollimore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Everybody, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Episode 463 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore, and I'm joined today by the lovely woman who also hosts this program, Brittany Page. That's me. That is you. Yes. Well, we had the big day happen. The big day. The big day. Midterms. Midterm voting. And we actually had to wait in line, which was surprising unusual for our precinct for our 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 voting polling station yeah the only other time i remember waiting in line was um election 2020 voting for donald trump 2016 2020 hasn't happened yet. i'm desperate for 2020 to get here <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even notice that i said that <laughs> yeah um oh wow in 2016 it was the guy in front of us who was bitching and complaining that his that it was rigged that everything was rigged because yes. he was in the wrong line because yes. our polling station covers two separate we're covering old material here but precincts are uh, yeah two separate precincts and he was in the in the line for our precinct rather than his own Mm -hmm. and he was convinced he was being fucked over by the man well yeah i had something interesting happen to me though this round which is i apparently somehow was signed up for mail-in voting the mail-in ballot i got i got my ballot in the mail and i don't know maybe i'm weird but i i didn't want to use that i didn't want to do that i wanted to vote at my polling place i wanted to look at my ballot before it goes in and it's all official and i hit the cast button you're Um, comfortable with what you know yeah i mean the russians are still probably hacking that so (laughs) you know what does it matter but um, well i think there is we've had issues with the mail i mean how many times have we sent stickers and then they never fucking arrive yeah Yes. It's not like a one out of ten, but it happens enough that we like to know when people get their stickers so they don't just think we didn't send them if they didn't get them. Right. It happens frequently enough that that's a concern. Yeah, so I didn't sign up for that. I wouldn't have signed up for that, but somehow I guess I I did sign up for that because I was signed up for that, and I had to do a provisional ballot. Even though I had my mail-in ballot with me, I hadn't opened it. It was still sealed, and I was ready to surrender it to the people working at the polling place. I still had to do a provisional ballot. So that was interesting to have that experience because, remember, we told everybody if you get to the voting booth and they say, hey, you're not registered to vote, um, you can ask for that provisional ballot um, and you fill out your name, your address, your driver's license number, last four of your social, and then your vote counts once they verify all that information. Yes. I was going to say, <laughs> well, but it is. It does count. But I mean, they're having issues right now in Georgia. 
Yes, of course. And even in Florida, there's there's you know tens of thousands of provisional ballots that are in question now. So right. anyway, we'll get into some of that. Mm-hmm. But it was good. We voted. Uh, high turnout. Um, you heard at the at the the two promos at the beginning of the show. Those are two congressmen. Congressman elect, mm-hmm. at least in Mike Levin's case, and Harley Ruda. Um, it looks like it will be the case, although it has not yet been confirmed. Not official, but it's looking real, real good. Two gentlemen we had on the show who ran for Congress and won, really proving that if you come on the show, mm-hmm. Paulette Jordan, if you come on the show, ouch, you get elected. We pick winners here. Yeah, we pick winners. On I Doubt It with Dollamore. Yeah. And if you are extended... An offer to come on the show. It's probably best to come on the show. We ha- we have a great track record of electing <laughs> individuals to uh, elected office. Yeah, we won't talk about Kathy Allen, but um, I well, Jason Chavis quit, so the whole thing got thrown off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with that one, right. <laughs> <laughs> we, I don't want to brag, but we were also early adopters when it came to... Both of those gentlemen, actually. Mike Levin and Harley Ruda. Yeah. So we really saw the um, special sauce there. So you're welcome, Mike, and you're welcome, Har- uh, Harley. Yep. We... Uh... No thanks needed. We get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so last night we went to the to the what I always call a victory party. I guess I'm just used to... Going to political rallies or or viewing parties or return parties or whatever they call them. Election watch parties. And knowing you're going to win because a lot of it's been in Idaho Mm. where Republicans win. So, you know, when I was a Republican. Yeah. And it was a good time. Um, I don't know why I sound so guarded. Wow. I just, I'm not a raw, raw person for the sake of the raw, raw. Mm. You know what I mean? (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't know so what you mean. So CNN's on all over in this place at the Marriott yeah. over by Fashion Island in Newport Beach. Giving the election updates with Jake Tapper and Wolf Blitz. Yeah, and and so they every so often, they because they're, they're covering national races, and Harley's against Dana Rohrbacher was a, a nationally followed race. And right. uh, so every time they would throw up an update, and in the early time, it was like a 0.2% difference, but Harley was leading. And these people just erupt in cheers and rah! And it's, I get it. I get it. It's their guy, and they're just being enthusiastic, and I'm just being a dick. I get it. You hate happiness. No. <laughs> wow, you're going to pile on, too. <laughs> but it's just like, look, is this your first rodeo? Because that number could change swing wildly with this few precincts reporting. Yeah, but that's what everyone's there for. I know, I know. I'm just a fucking... Get off my lawn! There were a lot of um, drunk individuals there who were there to have a good time and scream when, you know, there's 0.01% away. (laughs) So, yeah. It was good. We bumped into some listeners, some uh, people familiar with the program. Yeah. That was a good time. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, generally, it was a, it was good. We we got we GTFO at, relatively at 1 early. Well, was it one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we waited. And the for party Harley. was still continuing. We waited for Harley to talk, and then we we got out of there. Anyway, it was a good time. Uh, wild night. I think we'll just let's do this. Let's get into some listener communication. We'll talk a little bit about it, and then we'll move into Dollamocracy. 
the election will be the first thing we talk about, and then all of the insanity that ensued today. Hey, guys. Uh, John from Columbus here. Um, so I've uh, been at work all day, but kind of, you know, but keep the tabs, especially after, you know, midterms and everything. And, uh, Trump had a, uh, whatchamacallit, a press conference, press briefing, whatever, and was just you know, saying he likes to, he would want to work with Democrats, and then as soon as he's asked questions about it, he's just, you know, avoiding it back to his, you know, oh, fake news, Democrats are bad, you know, I'm not going to listen to you, spread your fake news, spread your lies, you know, let it, let someone else, like, just being a typical bullshit Trump. Um, and then I find out that, uh, you know, he fires Jeff Sessions because, or, you know, tells Jeff Sessions to resign because of his recusal with, you know, the Russia investigation. It's just like, I know we talk about this all the time. It gets to a point where it kind of feels like bullshit. But this guy just doesn't, you know, there's no quit in him, which is why, you know, I feel like that midterm was so important um, because, you know, his, his bullshit meter is just constant, and, you know, Jeff, you know, firing Jeff Sessions, oh, I'm sorry, the uh, racist elf isn't enough for you. You know, you want somebody more willing to spread your bullshit? You know, Jeff Sessions is a racist little elf, and apparently, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't do his two jobs, you know, give, you know, give advice, give praise, and make sure that Trump is stocked with little Keebler elf cookies or something, I don't even know, but... <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to uh, call in and just say, you know, I know we did a lot in the midterm, but you, know, you, you feel a lot of hope, and then you read what Trump does and see what Trump does and hear what Trump does, and you're just like, God damn it. You know, continue to fight the good fight, I guess. You know, that's, that's what we got to do. Uh, but thanks for all that you do, guys, and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah, so we're going to get into all of that stuff later on in the show as well. The uh, Jeff Sessions resigning. The presser, all that. Yeah, the press conference. The new guy, Matthew Whitaker, which will be the interim Jeff Sessions while Jeff Sessions is gone. (laughs) Yeah, maybe a worse version. I mean, for sure. Yeah, and we'll get to that. But I could tell in John's voice that he sounded defeated, kind of. And I think a, down. Yeah, I think a lot of Democrats are feeling that way because the election result wasn't as blue wavy as people had hoped. But I still think that there were tremendous wins, if we're going to talk like Donald Trump. Absolutely. <laughs> that should be celebrated and recognized. Um, and I don't know if you want to talk about some of those now or if you want to. Yeah, well, I do. I, I generally I, I want to talk a little bit about the the widespread feeling of um, down, being down, being depressed. Not, and I would guard everybody. I would warn everybody to guard themselves uh, against having unreasonable expectations. Because last night was a win. We 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 blew it in the Senate. We lost ground in the Senate, which is a bummer. That is something to be uh, worried about. But it also should be a sign, a clarion call to redouble your efforts 
Because in two years, there's another crop of senators that are up for re-election. Mm-hmm. And we have another opportunity to make a difference. We cannot. This is a constant fight. You have to be ready for that. Yeah. Well, and the, the best thing about um, the election and the Democrats taking the House is that there is now a check on the president. Yeah. This is the checks and balances. And you had Mitch McConnell interviewed today saying that it would be like, what What phrase did he use? A presidential harassment or something? Yeah, he, who he knows? used some strange phrase, which is, that's checks and balances. Yes. Mitch. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I think a lot of people, it seems to me, have a... When I say unreasonable expectation, if you expected it to be a clean sweep that Beto was going to win and Andrew Gillum was going to win and Stacey Abrams was going to win and Amy McGrath was going to win and all across the board, from Jersey to California, it was going to be this insane blue wave, that's unreasonable. And that's unreasonable for, for many reasons, but... I'm seeing a couple of different things. One main thing that I'm seeing is people saying, you see, you can't run moderates. That's not the way you fucking win. And let me tell you something. If we had run here in in our our district some Bernie Sanders-style firebrand. Dana Warbacher would be ahead by a lot. Dana Warbacher would likely have won this race. Putin's favorite congressman. If Ocasio-Cortez had run here... Mm -hmm. That doesn't fly here. Now, Harley is running with a lot of the same policies, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, he's not, It's he's a different type of person. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand that politics is local and every single community and congressional district across the country has a little bit different flavor relative to the culture there, mm-hmm. relative to the community values there. Relative to the issues that affect everyone in the district. And we there isn't a a litmus test standard that applies all the way across the country. And we have to treat each individual district on its own merits. And I would just say this. We took back the House. Democrats are in control of the House, whether it be a one-person margin or a 50-person margin. And now, and we're going to get into this later, we have committee chairs who are Democrats who are going to start doing their job, which is being a check on the executive branch, flexing their oversight muscle, which is their constitutional responsibility. So I also think another important thing that people should be talking about more and that I think the Democrats need to focus on more in the next two years is the gerrymandering and the voter suppression. Yes. The fact that people were waiting in line for hours to vote is unacceptable. Disgraceful. That there were in some locations in Georgia, for example, three voting booths, three machines for people to vote on. In one, in at least one, they didn't deliver extension cords or or cord, power cords to even power the voting machines. Right. And these are in largely black precincts. And I don't know who said it on Twitter, but it, but it's it's 
it, it encapsulates what this problem is. It's very, pretty convenient that every time there's a mistake or a snafu or a whoopsies, it just so happens to largely benefit Republicans. Yeah, well, I had to wait in line for 40 minutes, and there were at least, I would say... 25 voting machines. Yeah, I cannot imagine if the there was place. three in there. So that's just unacceptable, especially since it's not a holiday, right? No one is like able to take time off work to go vote. I mean, they might get an hour or something. I, I've, I know people that got an hour or something to take to vote, but these people need to go to work, right? I needed to go to work. Everyone needs to go to work. Yeah. It's not a holiday. So you can't stand in line for three hours, four hours, five hours. That's unacceptable. Some people are physically incapable of waiting online for hours and hours on end. Right. So it, this is something I think that Democrats need to focus on because, it, yes. because that is essential to continuing to gain power. If Republicans continue to gerrymander and do these, have these tactics cheat... Uh, then that's only going to make it more difficult for Democrats to have the upper hand. Yeah. It's just... um, Look, there are things that we still need to fight and battle against. Absolutely. Should we steal ourselves for the fight that is to come? Yes. But let's take a moment to be pleased with the performance that we did experience. Especially for the fact that Beto, Beto, I always get corrected, candidate O'Rourke, how about that, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, did very well in a wildly ruby red state of Texas. That's a big deal. Strides are being made. Progress is being made. Donald Trump won some of these districts by overwhelming margins. And the fact that a Democrat even came close in some of, some of these is a big, big deal. That is a win in and of itself. Look, it's not a win from the fact that you get somebody representing you and it counts on the scoreboard of Congress, but it's a win ideologically. It's a win for history that we're making the needle move in the right direction. Well, and I think that's the hope as well, is that the people who were inspired and came out to support the candidate that they were excited about will continue to have that enthusiasm, will continue to be invested in politics and in outcomes, Um, that it isn't just this race specifically or this candidate specifically, that something was ignited in people that will cause them to continue to take charge and take control of the people that are representing them in government all over the country in precincts and and congressional districts all over the country voter turnout was greater in this midterm election than the general election of 2016 with that got donald trump elected that is something to be fired up about that we have impassioned a whole new generation of voter whether they were disengaged before or just not that into it. And I don't want to spoil that with a bunch of people. And I'm not blaming John here because John is, is he has company in the way he feels down right now, or he seems to be down that we, we owe it to these people to say, yeah, that's part of the progress. That's part of the process. you're going to fall down and scrape your knee, but you get the fuck back up and you get right back to work because we don't just owe it 
to ourselves, we owe it to future generations to continue this work, to give, to be able to pass the baton to them so they can take it from there. Anyway, thanks for the call, John. We, we appreciate it very much. And keep your chin up, brother. So we have an email. Hi, guys. So I'm an American who now lives in Toronto. No, I didn't flee the U.S. It just happened that I met and married a lovely lady from Canada, and we decided that it made more sense for me to go to Canada than for her to make the move south. She has some pretty specific medical issues, and given the current state of affairs, you can see why Canadian healthcare is preferable. But I digress. So tomorrow is the big day. This was the day before the midterms. <laughs> just a little parenthetical there from me. Back to the message. I see nothing good coming from tomorrow, regardless of the results. Here's my take. When the current president, I am loath to even write his name, how pathetic is that, was running, my Canadian family and friends were un understandably losing their shit. I had no explanation, but, but I fervently hoped he would not win. Oh, well. My concern then, and remains so today, that we are on track for some serious Civil War-type discontent. Now, I would never compare Trump, Ugh, to Lincoln in character or intelligence, but the circumstances surrounding their election, I believe, have some disturbing similarities. Neither was expected to win the election or was known to be a political heavyweight prior to their election. Lincoln lost more often than he won and failed in business as well. Both proved to be polarizing figures. Yes, I realize that the reasons for the polarization are different, but I would argue that they are not completely without a common thread, as both situations involve a group within the general population that are frightened of change or loss of a certain lifestyle. One can argue that Lincoln was a far more reflective and insightful man, but if you read his critics from both North and South, you will find they thought him to be an idiot, much as on the center and left find Trump to be presently. Admittedly, Trump has waltzed into a good economy and minimal problems, but he has chosen to access the racism that has brewed throughout our history and that has promoted the us versus them mentality. It just seems as though neither side of the political spectrum is intent on anything other than imposing their will on the other. So my point is that even if Democrats manage to not screw the pooch and take back the House of Representatives, as well as many local offices, I have no faith in their desire or spine to do potentially unpopular things to address the issues that Trump supporters think are critically important. This is the essential element because simply ignoring their feelings will not lead us anywhere good. Calling them names or treating them in a condescending manner will only lead to further discontent and terrorist activities. And Jesse, dude, I am with you on most everything, but the perpetual name-calling ends up closing the ears of anybody you might persuade. You clearly have the intelligence and insight to do a better job of criticizing, but I digress yet again. Besides, what the hell do I know about podcasting? When impeachment proceedings begin, the Trump supporters will ratchet up their rage and the bombings and mass shootings will only escalate. Seriously, right now they are somewhat placated by feeling that he is in charge. But what is going to happen when they feel their man is actually threatened? So, in short, I fear that the current crop of corporately bought Democrats will not save us from the Trumpian brand, but rather they will just end up being another chapter in this downward spiral we seem to be traveling. Yes, I know there are some promising candidates that are defying the pattern of using the PAC money, but come on. So long as we have legal corruption, their ability to affect changes is going to be hamstrung. The thing is, what other choice is there? Sit and whine? Nope, just try to elect folks that will try to change our present mess. So duck and cover, because assuming we can actually get a reliable vote count on Tuesday, Wednesday is going to be an interesting day. And that 
is all. And thanks for all that you do. All the best. Slow Mike. Slow Mike. And it should really be Long Mike. <laughs> based on the length of the email. Hates brevity Mike. Yes. <laughs> That would be more accurate, I think. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mike, for the email. Um, First, let me say this. I I would disagree with your assessment about comparing Lincoln and Trump. Just because a few things may correlate like they would with any, any couple of presidents doesn't mean that you can extrapolate from those similarities a similar historical outcome. I just I don't buy that. Uh, I appreciate the theory. I'm just, I don't share it. And then as far as, I get a vibe that Mike kind of shits on that if, if like the, the, maybe he's he's shitting a little bit on incrementalism. And incrementalism in politics and policy, it's how progress is made. The only, the only thing I could see where where progress is made abruptly and on a large scale is actually the war that you fear is coming. Mm-hmm. War accomplishes that. But incrementalism is how progress is made. And to be bummed that it's only little by little that we that we get shit done is, I think, unreasonable and kind of a defeatist attitude because if you're if if you can't handle it that that's the way it's done then you're never going to be satisfied or pleased or happy when gains are made well also i mean more than 100 women were elected to congress yeah in the midterms here and the first muslim women were elected to congress the there were millions of people in florida that had their right to vote restored um yeah, that's a big deal because they I think it was a constitutional amendment to restore the vote for like a million and a half felons. Mm-hmm. A very popular Virginia Republican, Barbara Comstock, was lost her seat. She was um, a, ra- a rating from the NRA. Yeah. And she lost her seat to a Democrat. The first openly lesbian woman was elected mayor of Florida. The first openly gay governor in U.S. history was elected in Colorado. Texas elected two Latina congresswomen for the first time. Yeah. Uh, the first Native American women were elected to Congress. All the- of, Listen, all of this is awesome because it brings fresh and new perspectives that I'm sure Mike would appreciate uh, being represented in, in Congress. So in the governor's mansions, in, in um, office all over the country. But Mike was sounding concerned that even if the Democrats took the House, there would still be problems. And... You saw Donald Trump, who was very angry and upset at the press conference because he's worried. He's scared. Yeah. Well, listen, I agree. There's still going to be problems with Democrats. Look, I'm not a giant fan of Nancy Pelosi. I hope that she doesn't become speaker. I hope someone else steps up who could garner the support of the the troops. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm not without my criticism I'm hoping that the Democrats do not only their due diligence and their duty of oversight and holding the administration accountable as a co-equal branch of government, but I also hope that they offer up alternatives, policy alternatives to the ones that are presented by the administration. So I'm, I'm not without my criticisms, Mike. 
The other thing, and then we, we're going to move on, is about the name calling. Name calling is, it's kind of a, a stylistic flair. <laughs> like an, it's an entertainment element of the show. Mm-hmm. If you were to sit down with me. Yeah. And and have a talk about this kind of stuff. I'm not this. I'm not this guy. Where I'm like those motherfuckers. These p terrible pieces of shit. Well, I mean, you can be like that. Oh, for, of but, course, I can. But, but if, it's not. It, it's not. That's that's not me convincing people of my argument. That's the entertainment side of this. Right. If you're trying to change hearts and minds and you're face to face with somebody and you're actually doing the work, trying to get in there and get in those yeah. crevices and make some change. That's not how Jesse D is going to be approaching well, the situation. It's like even in the videos mm-hmm. when I called, you know, fucking uh, Tucker Carlson, a, a, a feather duster with googly eyes or a googly eyed feather duster or whatever. That's for the fun of it. That's for a little entertainment value. That's not because I, I think I'm really fucking getting him with the name. Yeah, come on. Mm-hmm. This, the show has to be fun, too. Well, also, I think it's kind of car- cathartic for you yeah, and for other people to hear it <laughs> because many times they're feeling the same way. And listen, sometimes there has to be a airing of grievances and just describing how frustrated you are. And we're not journalists. Yeah, I think that's true too. Cause there are times where I get very so frustrated with Trump that it's the only thing that I can muster is that motherfucker, you know? Yeah. I mean, we definitely go out of our way to recognize our biases and try to be fair and approach things. But obviously we have a, a way that we prefer to view the world and we view it through a particular lens. And so we're not necessarily journalists. <laughs> yeah. We are talking about the issues. And it's not always going to be fair because we're human and we're biased. So. Right. And sometimes you just got to call a motherfucker who's a, being a motherfucker a motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now, but <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Mike. Thanks for the super short email. We appreciate it very much. Uh, Let's move on to a call. Hey, Jess. Hey, Brittany. It's your boy, Walt, a.k.a. Stefan, also known (laughs) as, say it with me now, that guy. (laughs) I'm never going to live that down. A little background to those of of you who who maybe just started listening to the show or haven't been listening that long. A couple years ago, I think it was. I mean, it was months and months and months and months ago. We took a call from Walter from Missouri. And I wrote on the clip that it was Steven from, I was, you know, doing a million things at once. And then when the call got done, I looked at the clip for the name and I said, oh, hey, thanks, Steven or Stefan or whatever. And now I'm never going to live it down. Fucking it's Walter, a.k.a. Stefan. And then apparently I said... That guy. Yep, good times. Goddamn. Um, I know it's been a minute, you guys. Uh, just, I don't want to boggle your voicemail with, uh, you know, a whole bunch of uh, comments and things like that. It's, it's so much on my mind right now. I just have a question. Um, so, very exciting times. The Democrats took over the House. Awesome. Now... Um, this to the news and it looks like Nancy Pelosi's really, I don't know. I'm not feeling real optimistic about 
how she's coming off. I don't know if she's being sincere or if she's putting on the front, but it just seems like she's, uh, you know, pretty cozy enough to Trump or, or it just seems like she could be putting on the front just to put Trump's guards down and then Republican and, you know, Democrats are going ahead and do what Republicans should have had the guts to do all this time. But I guess my question is, is, uh, do you really think that Democrats are going to actually hold Trump accountable? Uh, I want your thoughts on that. Um, hopefully you guys touch bases on that. Just uh, tell me what you guys think. Uh, as usual, Brittany's the best part. Just to keep doing your darn thing, bro. All right. Bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. So Walter is actually stating things that Slow Mike was kind of touching on as well. I think it's a common concern. Yeah, for sure. which is are Democrats actually going to take steps to do something about this president? Yeah. I believe they will. M- me too. Yeah. Am I just being too optimistic? Well, I, I wouldn't think so. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm the one who gets charged with being overly or excessively uh, optimistic. Um. They're not gonna. They're not cozying up to Trump. That is not. I mean, listen. If they, if they want to lull him into a false sense of security or something, or say, look, we'll work with the president on something. Well, then you know there are issues that they could work on the president with. Work with him on um, infrastructure is one thing that they absolutely could get some ground done. Um, working with the administration, but they're not going to work with him on d- detaining children separating them from their families there there are certain lines in the sand they're not going to do the other thing is you're going to hear a lot of talk from democrats about oh no we're not we're not trying to impeach the president we we, we just we're going to let the investigation go where it wants to do not fall into that trap they're trying to lure him in they want to impeach this slow mic cover your ears they want to impeach this motherfucker as badly as anybody and they're going to take action when necessary and when strategic. Now, have the Democrats have a long history of stepping on their own dicks? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Is it likely that they will make mistakes along the way here in, in, the, in, in the proceeding months? Absolutely. It's one of the reasons why I think we need to get rid of Nancy Pelosi as the leader of the Democratic Party, which she effectively is as Speaker of the House. Well, I would also say for people who are concerned that they're not hearing the word impeachment right away, that is strategic. Yes. These Democrats are afraid to use the word impeachment because they don't want to freak people out when it comes 2020 and they need to win in those That's exactly those right. Trump districts. So that is a strategic move. They are going to be doing investigations, but they are going to shy away from that word because that word... Fire the MAGA crowd up. Yes. It's going to upset people and rile everybody up and put them into protection mode of Donald Trump at all costs. It's political strategy and gamesmanship. Mm-hmm. And and we can't be the only party that doesn't use it. The fucking Republicans, that's all they got is game gamesmanship and human rights abuses. We also have to be able to employ a little cloak and dagger in how we work. But cheer up, brother. You sound like you're down. You and John both. <laughs> Look on the bright side of things. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Just Everybody. Be, just be a little more like Jesse. Anyway. <laughs> just be more optimistic like Jesse. Goddamn.
All right. We have another email here. Normally, I would call in, but it's late. I have a small child, and frankly, I'm too angry to speak for fear I will start crying or my voice would be too shaky. As a longtime listener of this show, three years or so now, I'm grateful for this platform to share thoughts and feelings in times like this. Today, the child in chief held a press conference, if that's what we call those now, and literally answered maybe a handful of questions over the course of an hour and a half. By now, we all know he verbally abused Jim Acosta, told April Ryan to sit down multiple times, accused the reporter from PBS, whose name escapes me, accusing her of asking a racist question, among many other things. It was the longest 90 minutes of my life in recent months that I can recall. Tonight, I am fucking angry at the measures taken against Acosta. Revoking his hard pass to even get into the White House was one thing. But now, insert choice words here, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has tweeted that he was revoked for putting his hands on the female intern who consistently tried to force the microphone out of his hand. I've watched the clip probably a hundred times now and saw it live. Jim Acosta did absolutely nothing wrong. He was more assaulted quote-unquote, by the female intern than otherwise. I don't know what the answers are here. I don't know where we go from here, but this is scaring me. We are seeing things that no other president did before this guy. No one ever talked to members of the press like this. No one before talked to women like this. No one before consistently lied on camera about other things we also have on camera. He's a fucking bully. (laughs) I'm so thankful Acosta went basically toe-to-toe with him, but now they've shown their true colors. They will lie even when we have video proof, and it doesn't seem to matter. I feel like I'm rambling, and I may be, but I needed to more or less get those thoughts out into the universe. I'm so confused as to how we got this far down the rabbit hole. I love you guys, and we Britneys are always the best part. Brittany from Mississippi. Keep hold of that anger. Don't let that go. That's what we need. The 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 gloomy Gus needs to be replaced by that fucking outrage. Because I think that's what gets shit done. It's easy to stay home at the polls because, oh, we're just going to fuck it up anyway. And I'm not I'm not categorizing everyone who's 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 sounded off as that. I'm just generally making that statement. It's easy to to find um, reasons not to act, reasons not to to make a change because, oh, there's this not going to help anyway if I do anything. But outrage gets shit done. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about the Jim Acosta thing because um, I'm pretty outraged about it, too. We will get there on the other side. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. We have one new Patreon supporter. All right. Cameron. Cameron. Cameron from Oregon. That is fantastic. It really is fantastic, Jesse. It really is. <laughs> you know what else is fantastic? 
We have Thanksgiving coming up. Thanksgiving is coming up. It is in like two weeks, you guys. So you better get stressed out and you better send in those listener submissions. I think what Brittany means to say is you better join us in being stressed out because we don't have nearly enough right now. No. And this happens every goddamn year where we have to cajole and guilt and get a little bossy. Yes. Last minute turds. (laughs) Last minute. Okay, so here's the deal. Every year we do a Thanksgiving listener submission episode. It is a family-friendly, profanity-free episode. And during the episode, we do a little mashup of listeners calling in, no names, all anonymous, describing what they were thankful for during the year. And it's always a really powerful experience for me, I'll speak personally, because I get to hear about unique experiences that other people have had and what the year taught them. Yeah, and sometimes it, it's things that you may have taken for granted. Right. And then you hear them, and you're like, oh, yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it, it causes us to be reflective of things that we might not actively appreciate that we should. Right. And taking other people's lessons and yeah. learning to apply them in your own life. It's it's a really powerful episode. So I'd really encourage you guys record a voice memo, send in a voicemail for what you're thankful for this year after you take some time to reflect on your experiences in 2018. Uh, 657-464-7609 or you can send a voice memo to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Make sure you record it not in a tunnel, not in a garbage can, um, not in any echoey location, but somewhere that is very quiet and nice. Yeah, please. I, I know normally uh, voice memos are recorded in garbage cans. Yes. But don't, not this one. Yeah, just try not to this time. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the other thing is we'd love for, to have you uh, rate and review the show on the iTunes. Also profanity free. Also profanity free. Uh, it's the the sheer irony of the situation. It's, this podcast has to be irony free reviews. Other iTunes won't post them. And then also the holidays are coming up, and if you're looking to buy something, you're going to buy something on Amazon. Go to dollamore.com/slash/amazon. It'll redirect you back to Amazon. You don't pay any more, and if you're going to support your favorite show filled with news and ridiculous comment, you might as well help us out. That made no sense whatsoever, but. Bellamer.com slash Amazon. <laughs> Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So the first thing I want to do just really quick before we get into this is talk about exit polls and the demographic breakdown of people who voted for Democrats versus people who voted for Republicans. Yeah, I've seen a couple of these and it's shocking yeah so 52 percent. this is based on um a cnn exit poll and i believe it was almost twenty thousand people this is based on almost twenty thousand people it's a large enough sample that it's it's uh meaningful it is a large sample yeah so men tended to vote republican and weird women tended to vote democrat you know men all the country over countrywide men fucking it up for hundreds of years Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what i mean yeah just come on bros so younger people tended to vote 
Democrat, mm -hmm. and older people tended to vote Republican. Ah, get off my lawn! <laughs> this is not very surprising, but we're talking about 18-year-olds to 49-year-olds, and then it tips into the Republican range yeah. from 50 to 65 and older. What's really interesting to me is race. And this is actually really upsetting when it comes to white women in particular. Mm -hmm. But when looking at the population of blacks in the sample, 90% voted Democrat. Um, when you look at Latinos in this population, 69% voted Democrat. Yeah. When you look at Asians in this sample, 77% voted Democrat. Wow. That... Uh I'm surprised it's that high. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but the, the, uh, some of the Asians I know, mm -hmm. um, Koreans particularly, are are a, a religious uh, group of people, mm -hmm. oftentimes, and they they lean Republican sometimes. So that's good. That's good news. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then um, in in the white population in this sample, the breakdown was 54% voting Republican, 44% voting Democrat. Hmm. So when you look at this chart, the only race demographic that is highlighted with red because the majority went for a Republican is white people. Yeah. Everyone else voted for Democrats. They get it. The majority voted for Democrats. Again, it might be one of those situations where they haven't yet found their empathy because they haven't experienced their tragedy. And then CNN further broke this down race by gender. So in this sample, they broke it into white men, white women, black men, black women, Latino men, Latino women. And black men, black women, Latino men, Latino women, majority voted for Democrats. Vast majority. And white women, it was 49% voted Democrat, 49% voted Republican. Hmm. For white men, 60% voted Republican. Okay, so white men, white women really need to get it together here. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially where it relates to Brian Kemp. I think that white women supported Brian Kemp in a to a degree that makes me sick to my stomach. I think, well, listen, people vote their, their interests oftentimes. They vote for what's going to benefit them. And if you're voting for candidates that maintain the status quo of white supremacy, white, pe they're, white people are okay with that because it doesn't harm them. It benefits them. That's why blacks, Latinos, Asians typically, we're finding from this, vote overwhelmingly Democratic because they understand the fucking struggle. They have no interest political, personal interest in propping up white supremacy. Mm -hmm. I saw a tweet from Matt we Walsh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Matt. Not reason.com, Matt Welch. Right. Matt Walsh, yeah. the Christian blogger oh, yeah. guy yeah. who has a lot of feelings about virginity and Sean from, from Missouri's favorite guy. Yeah, he has a lot of opinions. <laughs> and he he tweeted, and it went viral for one of his tweets, I guess, in a bad way, because he tweeted Always. that regardless of the outcome of the election, it, it won't be a big deal and everything will basically be fine. And people were retweeting this, responding to it, saying, yeah, this is what we're talking about with privilege, yeah. everybody. Yeah. This is what it means to have privilege where you are not concerned 
with the outcome of an election because, well, you have health care, right? That's right. The police aren't trying to kill you or your family members when you're unarmed in the street. You're not being harassed. You're not... Your vote's not being suppressed. Right. I mean, like, you don't have the concerns. So you're like, oh, everything's going to be fine regardless of what happens. I'm going to be fine. I I saw uh, along this line, one, let me say this, Matt, Matt Walsh, is the dingus who works for the Daily Wire for for um who's the little the little ben guy Shapiro. Ben Shapiro who is relegated to do his TV show his YouTube live show from the front seat of his car that's a no shitter he doesn't get a studio like the rest of those guys he does his show in his car <laughs> he he has a show yeah it's like a YouTube live thing with huh. the, like they have like a car show. Well, it's not about cars. It's about him hating everybody who's not white Christian. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the same deal. In a car. Right. <laughs> In a car. <laughs> um, the the other thing is I, um, I saw some photos of people like two. It was two white kids. And one had a Beto shirt on, Beto O'Rourke. And then the other one, I don't know why it's so awkward to say Beto and not Beto. But uh, and then the other guy had a Make of America Great Again shirt on. And they're like, no matter what happens, we're still buddies. And the tweet thread that happened was awesome because it's like, yes, for white people, it's okay because it doesn't matter if the Trump agenda gets carried out because you're fucking fine because you're white. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they got dragged on Twitter. It was a good time. Yeah, those kind of things also bother me because it's difficult to say. It's kind of like the love the sinner, hate the sin kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Where if you're voting against the interests of people you are are friends with and you say that you love and you're voting against their interests and putting people in power that are going to oppress them, I don't know. That's that's tough for me. Like your gay friend. Yeah. You got a gay buddy. Yeah, that's that's tough. That's that's tough. I, I don't know how you can say, oh, yeah, we're still good. <laughs> I don't think you can. I mean, it's it's tough. And I know people have to do this in their families. I know I have to do this with people I know. So it is it's difficult. It's difficult having to navigate that territory. Yeah. We've had call. We've had calls from listeners. Wow, that that was like a three or four episode arc. Yeah, it was it was good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah, I actually have pew on that for next time. So, so right. stay tuned for some good pew on that next time. In between now and then, I'll be doing lots of car shows. Everybody, oh, good yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> so, like we talked about earlier, the Democrats have absolutely taken control of the House of Representatives. And this is going to be a, a big problem for President Trump going forward. If he thinks that the media is annoying, wait till he meets a Democratic House that has subpoena power <laughs> and actually has legal the legal ability to force them to turn over documents. Uh, we're going to look like nothing compared to that. I mean, he is going to find an opposition that he has never really encountered before. And we should also talk about the historic nature of what probably will happen, uh, which is the first female Speaker of the House in history, in the U.S. history, is now poised to take the gavel again. To be the second to be, <laughs> to be the, the first and a half. I don't know. Um, but, you know, she's going to have a fight on her hands, but she's confident. And she was also confident that they were going to take back the House. And here we are. Um, she knows how to count votes. If she knows nothing else. She certainly knows how to count votes. And so that this is a moment that we should mark uh, when it comes when it comes to that. And speaking of Nancy Pelosi, you talked about all the things that Democrats 
have said that they are going to do with their newfound power in the majority. One of the things is try to get Donald Trump's tax returns, let which me, they have not in, been able to get. Let me bring in Manu Raji right now, who's at De- Democratic uh, headquarters. And Manu, uh, they must be feeling pretty good. They are feeling good. This crowd buzzing with excitement. <coughs> after this is just called getting the CNN projection. Now, I can tell you as this crowd is getting excited. There are- let me pause it. I forgot to mention before the clip started. The that was not us. No, that was not us. The These news people were on the air. It was like it was a fucking Jerry Lewis telethon. They were on the air for hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah, they started to look tired. Wait, I'm not done. And hours. <laughs> <laughs> and your throat gets tired, man. Yeah. So anyway, a lot of coughing, a lot of hacking up, a lot of... A little loosey goosey, making some, cutting some little jokes, you know. Anyway, Democratic members, chairman of key committees, who are planning what they will do in a House majority. I spoke to two of those chairmen just earlier today. One, Elijah Cummings, the House Oversight Chairman, who told me they plan to use their committee rather aggressively, including to look into whether or not President Trump violated the clause of the Constitution that prohibits federal officials from receiving gifts from foreign governments. He told me that they may even seek President Trump's tax returns as part of their investigation. Now, I also spoke to Jerry Nadler, who's the chairman of the House, who will be the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee in the Democratic Congress. He said there are a range of issues that they are looking in, going to look into, family separation, gun safety laws, uh, and he made it very clear. He said to me, quote, Trump is going to learn that nobody is above the law. Both him and Cummings say they plan to hold the Trump administration accountable, which they believe the Republicans did not do, which is why you will see a very aggressive push by these committees to do what the Republicans did not do when they had power here. We'll see this all play out in the coming weeks here, Jake and Wolf. Are are we more professional than the folks on CNN? Um, <laughs> let's address what they're talking about. Um, all very good news. This is a very, that is a great statement. He's going to learn that without your toady Republican party led by Devin Nunes and these ding-dongs in the house, without them protecting you, not Without them abdicating their duty, their constitutional role as a co-equal branch of government and exerting oversight over the government, it's going to be a long road for you, Donald Trump, because nobody is above the law. Mm-hmm. So, And that's why he was so upset today during the press conference. I think he's, you know, listen, Donald Trump is a dumb guy in a lot of ways. No. <laughs> And I think I maybe he has a really high IQ. One of the highest. Yeah. World's all time greatest memory or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he's got great words, I hear. Oh, yeah. So he, from him, he says it. You, so I just trust that he's, he's it, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he loves the poorly educated. So um, he may have just kind of had the rude awakening this morning that, hey, uh, shit's going to change, brother. It's not going to be great for you. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it, it was a wake up call. I mean, really. Yeah. So it's not just that, though. There, there's a long line of people who are going to have key committee chair, the gavel in these committees to have 
all kinds of investigations. And it's a cast of characters that you may be familiar with. We were just looking at the sort of the Democrats who are likely to get gavels mm-hmm. in the House. Uh, Maxine Waters, who has been a regular uh, rhetorical target of the president's on the campaign trail over the past few weeks, she's going to have one of those gavels, Financial Services Committee. And one of the things that she can do is use her power of subpoena, which she has, to get you know, information from and about the president and from and about the president's cabinet that have not yet been looked at at all yeah. as Republicans have been in charge of yeah, the look, look at this. Look at this list. I just want to bring a, a, a one, one name to the attention of our viewers, and that is uh, Congressman Richard, uh, Neal. Richard, Richard Neal, Neal at the Neal, end. Richie Neal from Massachusetts, who's been in there for decades. You've never, maybe never heard of him before. But he is will. likely, likely to be the next chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. And why is that important? Because that is the one House committee that will be able to get the president's That's tax right. returns if he wants them. If he wants them and if the committee votes to get the president's tax returns. Richie Neal, you maybe have never heard of him until just now. That's a name you're going to know in the next few months. And it's one of those, it's an example of, you know, for those of us who roam the halls and you did for years as well, of Congress. You see him, you know him. He's been there for 30 years. He was elected in 1988. Before you were born, Jake, and um, he is Not quite, but okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and and he, you know, he's 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 the the veteran, the head of the of the Massachusetts delegation because he's been been there for so long. Um, but he's not on TV. He's not, or at least on national TV. He doesn't go out and and you know sort of make a a name for himself uh, in that way. But he is, you know, a hard worker, uh, and he's worked his way up the ranks. In that incredibly important committee, that is Ways and Means, the Tax Writing Committee. Yeah, and he's going to have a lot of power. And he access, keeps getting reelected from the state of Massachusetts. Ac- he does. Access to the president's tax returns. That is huge. Now that doesn't mean they'll be made public necessarily. I mean, who knows when the Democrats get control of them? They're <laughs> they leak shit to the press like a sieve. So who knows? But. Um, <laughs> Just having average Americans, regular people, not IRS employees who are statutorily confined in how much they can release, um, having them have that information is a big fucking deal. A big, a big deal. One, I, I don't know what would prohibit them from turning them over to the special counsel. But there's there has to be something there. Otherwise, there wouldn't be this effort to conceal them. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, during the press conference, he was actually asked again about his tax returns and he has a new excuse because he admitted that he's not prevented from releasing them because of the audit, which was which was his previous excuse. That is new. Yeah, he he twisted it a little bit and said that you any attorney would tell you not to do that. Any attorney would be unhappy with you releasing your taxes during an audit, except for every president for the past 40 years. Well, they just upset their attorneys and then they did it oh, apparently. Right, right, yeah. right, right. But he's he's really he values his attorney and he doesn't want to upset the attorney. Right. That's, yeah, that's what I got from him. It's the attorney who runs the country, not yeah. the president of the United States who could do what he wants. It was a moral position that he was right, taking. Yeah. Yes. But he also said that the public wouldn't be able to understand them. <laughs> No one will understand them. So why does it matter? He not only has the best words and the all-time greatest memory, but he also has the all-time most complex taxes in the history. 
of tax returns. The most complex. So yeah. complex. Mm-hmm. I mean, Warren Buffett, who's worth, you know, 20 times what uh, Donald Trump is worth. Yeah. Not quite as complex. Mm-hmm. It's different. It's the Trump taxes. Yes. So all of that is good news. That's something to look forward to. That is that is something to hold your head high about the fact that we have taken back the House of Representatives. Now, what did Donald Trump do to set the news cycle on its ear is fired Jeff Sessions the very day after the midterms. Laura, you have the letter submitted uh, from the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, making it very clear that he is not leaving because he wanted to leave. The very first sentence of his resignation is basically, I'm resigning because you told me to. That's right, Jake. You don't have to read between the lines on this one. It's pretty clear that the day finally came where Trump said enough is enough. We're told, despite the 90-minute press conference where Trump deflected on what would happen to the attorney general, he actually asked for his resignation before he even took the stage. In the first line, Session says, at your request, I am submitting my resignation. He goes on to say, since the day I was honored to be sworn in as attorney general of the United States, I have come to work at the Justice Department every day determined to do my duty and to serve my country. I have done so to the best of my ability, working to support the fundamental legal process that are that are the foundation of justice. And as all of you have just said, Sessions really was the champion of this, pers- the, this president's agenda. He carried through on every single policy initiative, even the most controversial immigration policies that were highly critical. He supported him lockstep. But his original sin was the fact that just very soon after he took charge here, he recused from all matters related to the Russia investigation. And clearly, the president never forgave him for it. The big question, of course, now is what happens to the special counsel's investigation. We know that Sessions' chief of staff is now taking his boss's job, at least temporarily. He will serve as the acting attorney general. But given some of his very controversial writings about Mueller, writing for CNN.com that Mueller went too far, I'm sure we will hear very, very soon that he is unfit, unfit to serve as the supervisor of the Mueller probe, Jake. And, you know, what's going to be very interesting, thank you, Laura Jarrett, for that. Uh, one of the, that's going to be very interesting, John, is uh, there's been a lot of talk in these first two years about how President Trump has had guardrails. There have been people put around him uh, to keep his behavior within check, even if he voices opposition to various institutions. You have uh, Jim Mattis at the Pentagon. You have John Kelly at the White House. You had Jeff Sessions at the Justice Department. But right now, President Trump is in the process, and he already has been in the process when you look at getting rid of H.R. McMaster, when you look at getting rid of, of Rex Tillerson at the State Department. He is in the process of getting rid of the guardrails. So, yes, getting rid of the guardrails. And most of this, I would say, is because of what happened during the midterms. Donald Trump is trying to put on a face and say, oh, no, everything's great. We really... Everything worked out great for us. We're super happy with the outcome. But he is not happy with the outcome. He is very disappointed and he is afraid. White House aides, according to reports in the press, have said that this was not supposed to happen today. 
the day after the midterms. Firing Jeff Sessions. Right. That they were expecting it, that it was coming, but that it was going to be down the line a bit, not the day after the midterm elections. Yeah, yeah. And this new guy that they were talking about, Matthew Whitaker, he, in addition to writing about Mueller and crossing a line if he were to look into Donald Trump's personal finances, also wrote in 2016 that he would indict Hillary Clinton. Yeah. He is a partisan hack who has made the rounds for a long time on cable news. Yes. He's known to have been on CNN time after time after time. In fact, told a guy who tweeted about this uh, today that he had an encounter with Wet Whitaker in a green room in CNN, and Whitaker told him, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to go on CNN a whole bunch so I can get the attention of Donald Trump and maybe get a judicial nomination out of the deal. Mm-hmm. And so he has been a partisan. This was a guy who I used to get red-faced and and white-knuckled grips on the couch while watching him talk Mm -hmm. on CNN. He's an infuriating partisan hack. Right. He's a Republican lawyer and legal commentator who has made it clear what his position is on the Mueller investigation, including on Twitter. It hasn't just been an official columns for CNN or whatever other source he's using to put his blogs on the internet but he also suggested ways to stop or curtail the Mueller investigation and urged his followers on twitters to read a story one time that dubbed the investigators quote Mueller's lynch mob so this is the this is the caliber of person that is now assuming authority over that investigation the acting attorney general and by the way Donald Trump when he tweeted about it said sometime in the future we'll nominate an, an actual attorney general. And, I, you know, uh, J- Judge Napolitano, Andrew Napolitano, the libertarian wonderkin mm-hmm. over there at Fox News. Yeah. He has been on air questioning what the legality of this, that why does this guy not need to be confirmed by the Senate if he's going to be acting as the attorney general of the United States? Right. And this guy tried to release a statement saying that Whitaker, I'm talking about Whitaker now, not Judge Napolitano, yeah, yeah. Um, saying that he was, quote, committed to leading a fair department with the highest ethical standards that upholds the rule anyway. of law and seeks justice for all Americans. But now, let me let me interpret that. Words, 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 words. Sternly said words. Fucking worthless. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe that he is going to be even-handed and fair when he is so partisan. Tonight, Democrats already calling for acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi saying this. Given his record of threats to undermine and weaken the Russia investigation, Matthew Whitaker should recuse himself from any involvement in Mueller's investigation. Jessica Schneider's out front with more on Whitaker's record. Matthew Whitaker has been on the president's succession list since at least late September. The president spoke directly with Whitaker when it was Rod Rosenstein whose future was in question. At the time, multiple sources told CNN that the president talked with Whitaker about becoming acting deputy attorney general after revelations that Rosenstein suggested officials wear a wire to record the president as a way to oust him from office. But with Sessions' resignation at the request of the president, Trump named Whitaker acting attorney general via tweet. 
I think what ultimately the president's going to start doing is putting pressure on Rod Rosenstein. Whitaker has long backed President Trump's tough take on the Mueller probe. In an opinion piece for CNN.com in August 2017, Whitaker wrote that it was time for Rosenstein, who oversees the special counsel, to order Mueller to limit the scope of his investigation to the four corners of the order appointing him special counsel. And he warned that by investigating the president's personal and business finances, Mueller has come up to a red line that he is dangerously close to crossing. And he said if Mueller didn't limit his probe, it would raise serious concerns that the special counsel's investigation was a mere witch hunt. Whitaker also appeared on CNN in July 2017, suggesting any replacement attorney general would likely slow down the special counsel by pinching the purse strings. And that attorney general doesn't fire Bob Mueller, but he just reduces his budget so low that his his investigation grinds to it almost a halt. And before Whitaker began working at the Justice Department as Sessions' chief of staff in October 2017, he was quite vocal about two main focal points of the Mueller investigation, any possible obstruction of justice justice by the president. There is no criminal obstruction of justice charge to be had here. There's just the, the evidence is, is weak. And that Trump Tower meeting in June 2016, where Donald Trump Jr. and others met with a Russian lawyer. To suggest that there's a conspiracy here, I mean, you would always take that meeting. Whitaker was by session side today as he left the Justice Department, as he has been for the past year. My chief of staff, Matt Whitaker, oh, great? And he has a long political history of his own. The former college football player at the University of Iowa ran as the Republican candidate for state treasurer there, but lost, and was later appointed by President George W. Bush as U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Iowa. I'm not sure what we are passing on to the next generation. In 2013, Whitaker ran in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate, but came in fourth. And one year later, he was named chairman of Sam Clovis's unsuccessful bid for Iowa state treasurer. Clovis was a top Trump campaign aide and has reportedly testified before Mueller's grand jury. And despite Whitaker's past comments speaking out against the special counsel, he will be assuming oversight of the Russia probe, taking over that duty from Rod Rosenstein. But Kate, Democrats like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, they've called for Whitaker to recuse himself. But remember, it was Jeff Sessions' recusal from overseeing that probe that sparked President Trump's fury and led to his firing today. So I want to make sure that we highlight uh, an important piece of this, which is that Matthew Whitaker, the new acting attorney general taking Jeff Sessions place, has ties to a witness in the Mueller probe. That is Sam Clovis. That's right. That right there is recusable. That's that's the key. Right. Sam Clovis was one time chair for the Trump campaign chairman, and they have been close since Whitaker chaired Clovis's bid for Iowa state treasurer in 2014. Sam Clovis has been interviewed as a witness in the Mueller investigation because of his communication with George Papadopoulos. That's right. And Clovis is saying, hey, guys, there's nothing to be worried about. I mean, I know that I'm like meeting with Mueller's grand jury and I'm friends with Matthew Whitaker at the same time. And now Matthew Whitaker is going to be overseeing the investigation. But, yeah, everything's fine. Don't worry about it, guys. It's It's unbelievable. It's all good. All these connections. Right. This isn't just like a casual like, yeah, we worked in the same department. They're close. Yes. They're close. Mm -hmm. He's close to a witness. In the investigation. Come on, man. Yeah. You wouldn't be allowed to serve on the grand jury. Trust me. As a currently impaneled grand juror, you would not be allowed to sit on the jury. 
if you have that close a connection to a witness? Why would you be able to oversee the investigation? Come on. Yeah, well, remember also, George Papadopoulos was the uh, coffee boy. <laughs> no, he was. that's what they tried to say. Right, he is the f- foreign policy advisor, senior foreign policy advisor to the Donald Trump campaign. Right, and he repeatedly tried to broker a meeting between Trump and Vladimir Putin. He was the one who is now a convicted felon mm-hmm. for lying to the FBI in the course of their investigation. Right, so that's how Sam Clovis is connected to the Mueller investigation is because of his communication with George Papadopoulos. Right. Ugh. All right. So we're going from one distraction to the next. <laughs> Donald Trump, in an effort, I believe, to distract from the dismal results for the Republican Party, save yeah. the Senate, yeah. um, fired Jeff Sessions in a massive distraction and then immediately went out and had a press conference. Mm-hmm. And caused a lot, many, many other distractions from the this Jeff Sessions firing. Let's just start with this little gym. This didn't come before or after. I mean, it's not. This isn't in time. This isn't a a, a timeline. But listen to Donald Trump, kind of calling out members of the Republican Party who didn't, and I'm using his words here, accept. His embrace. Anybody who was a slight critic of his or didn't fully jump on board the MAGA train, he's now like, well, you lost. So sad. So sad, man. On the other hand, you had some that decided to let's stay away. Let's stay away. They did very poorly. I'm not sure that I should be happy or sad, but I feel just fine about it. Carlos Cubella. Wait a minute. Uh, I don't know whether I should be happy or sad, but I feel just fine about it. Well, it seems like you know how to feel then, mm-hmm. dickhole. Mike Kaufman. Too bad, Mike. Mia Love. I saw Mia Love. She'd call me all the time to help her with a hostage situation. Being held hostage in Venezuela, uh, but Mia Love gave me no love, and she lost. Too bad. Sorry. L- listen to these idiots in the background. Yeah, who's laughing? It's, it's all it, his staff. So like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Jared Kushner, those those people standing behind him. It's the usual characters, the ones who start the applause breaks and the cheering and the adulation. Right. It's not the press corps. Yeah, it's certainly a muted laughter. Yeah. <laughs> that is muted laughter that you're hearing. About that, Mia. And Barbara Comstock was another one. I mean, I think she could have won that race, but she didn't want to have any embrace. For that, I don't blame her. What? But she um, she lost, substantially lost. Uh, Peter Roskam didn't want the embrace. Eric Paulson didn't want the embrace. And in New Jersey, I think he could have done well, but didn't work out too good. Bob Eugen, I feel badly, because I think that's something that could have been won. That's a race that could have been won. John Faso, those are some of the people that, you know, decided for their own reason not to embrace uh, whether it's me or what we stand for, but what we stand for 
uh, meant a lot to most people. And we've had tremendous support and tremendous support in the Republican Party, among the biggest support in the history of the party. I've actually heard at 93 percent it's a record, but I won't say that because who knows? It's a record, but I won't say that because who knows? Mm-hmm. Is he shying away from being fact-checked now? <laughs> so this really was kind of a, it set the tone. It's not really surprising that he's mm-hmm. going to, he he's not going to try to rally the troops and create, he's not even going to create unity within his own party. It's you lost, fuck you. You lost, you didn't accept the embrace. The creepy cheeseburger embrace yeah you didn't join you didn't join the cult i mean that's really what it comes down to right you're still uh a a, a republican who supports damaging policy Mm -hmm. but you weren't trumpy enough and that's why you lost he says yeah dividing his own party well you've probably heard we've already mentioned it the clash that jim acosta had with donald trump um, which has resulted in him being banished from the White House. His 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 press press credentials for the White House have been re- revoked. As has his hard pass, which just gets him in the White House. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I wanted to challenge you on on one of the statements that you made in the tail end of the campaign uh, in in the midterms. That here, this, here we go. That well, if Let's you don't go. mind, Let's Mr. President, that this caravan was an invasion. As you know, I, Mr. President, I consider it to be an invasion. As you know, Mr. President, the caravan was not an invasion. It's a it's a a group of migrants moving up from Central America towards the border with the U.S. Thank you for telling and me that. And why why did you why did you characterize it as such? Uh, because I consider it an invasion. You and I have a difference of opinion. But do you think that you demonized immigrants in not this election no, not to try I to want keep... Them, I want them to come into the country, but they have to come in legally. You know, they have to come in, Jim, through a process. I want it to be a process. And I want people to come in, and we need right. the people. You your, know, campaign, wait, your campaign... Wait, wait. You know why we need the people, don't you? Because we have hundreds of companies moving in. We need the people. Right. But your campaign had an ad showing migrants climbing over walls and well, so that's on. True. It poor, it, but they it, weren't actors. They're not going to be doing they that. They weren't actors. Well, no, it's truth. Do you think they were actors? They weren't actors. They didn't come from Hollywood. Right. These were these were people. This was an actual. You know, it happened a few days ago. And, uh, They're hundreds of miles away, though. They're hundreds and hundreds of miles you know away. That, that's I not an invasion. Should, honestly, uh, I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. All right. And if you did it well, your ratings well, let me would be ask, much if better. I, if I may okay, ask one enough. other question. Mr. President, if I may, if I may uh, ask Peter, one other ahead. question, are you worried? Of, that's enough. That's no, enough. Mr. President, I, well, that's I was going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. Excuse President, me. That's enough. Mr. President, I had one other Peter, question, if I may ask, on the Russia investigation. Are you concerned that... That you may have I'm not concerned about anything with the Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you, That's enough. Put down the mic. Mr. President, are you worried about indictments coming down in this investigation? Mr. President. I'll tell you what. CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN. Go ahead. I, I think that's unfair. You're a very rude person. The way you treat Sarah Huckabee is horrible. And the way you treat other people are horrible. So what you're getting ready to hear here is a, another reporter, Peter Alexander. And he is going to jump in because he's currently standing up with a mic waiting to ask his question. And he's actually going to defend Jim Acosta here. 
You shouldn't treat people that way. Go ahead. In, in, go in ahead, Jim, Peter. Go in, ahead. In Jim's defense, I've traveled with him and watched him. He's a diligent reporter who busts. Well, I'm not like a big fan of, of yours either. So I you understand. Know, to be honest. So let, me, so let me ask you a question, if I can. You repeatedly you said are, you are the best, Mr. President. You repeatedly over the course. Okay, of the, just sit down, please. Well, when you when you report fake news, no. When you report fake news, which CNN does a lot, you are the enemy of the people. So at the end there, Jim Acosta stood up again and started talking even without his microphone. And that's kind of the exchange where you can't hear exactly what he's saying. He's asking about the enemy of the people remarks. Right. So this is ridiculous for a number of reasons. Donald Trump is acting like a child. He is directly, blatantly insulting other adults in the room. I mean, these are not children. These are well-educated adults. Professionals. That are doing their job. They have a very important job, and they have to hold people in power to account. They're and- Hang on. They're doing their job, which is the only profession constitutionally outlined as a protected profession. Right. And I, I was just so shocked by... The press conference, and yeah. I know I know I shouldn't be shocked anymore. What was it? Um, heart? Did the pace of your heart increase? And you, like, you got? I there was a fight or flight that kicked in with me. Like, I get a little tingly in my hands, and well, yeah. And let me tell God. you why. Because something that you kind of miss by not watching this exchange is Donald Trump walking away from the podium twice in a very physically imposing, almost physically threatening way. Like he's going yes. to physically fight Jim like Acosta. Pacing. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do here? What am I going to yeah, do? Yeah. And I don't know if I haven't seen other people commenting on that, and I don't know if it's just like my upbringing that has me able to recognize when that kind of behavior is happening in people in the wild it's kind but, of an animalistic thing like uh like like silverback gorillas who are they you know they're 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 taking up more space than they normally would to make themselves larger kind of a deal yeah it was a show of force yeah what was for happening sure there was. and that's inappropriate <laughs> for the president to do that is not necessary uh you should just stand there and continue to answer questions because that's what you're supposed to do is answer questions. There was a moment there and he says, excuse me, I'm not done. That was, there's all kinds of accusations now. We're going to read Sarah Huckabee Sanders tweets when they did revoke his White House press credentials. But there's a lot of accusations now that he like manhandled a staffer or put his hands on a young female intern. And that is, none of that is true. What, what is true and this is the other thing that I've seen that I think is odd, is that liberals now are saying that he didn't even touch her. And that's just not true. He did. It wasn't ominous. It wasn't menacing. It wasn't assault. He was trying to keep the microphone. And any move he made was defensive relative to keeping the microphone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sarah Sanders has posted a video now of the exchange and there's there's basically two different videos that people are are showing here. There's one where she goes under his arm when he's holding the mic to grab it and he brings his arm down and he hits her on top of her arm. Now it's not I'm not using the word hit as assault. Right. There I'm was using contact. I'm using yeah, there was <laughs> contact. I'm saying it was a defensive move of if someone is in your space grabbing you that, and you yes. kind of bring your arm down to like, "Ooh, what is the This is my space. Yeah. You're, you're you're interjecting yourself into my personal space. Right. 
And if I'm, anything, that's the assault. And I'm keeping this mic. Yes. <laughs> and then there's another one where she is kind of being batted away, basically. That's kind of the motion that I would describe it as, where she's behind his hand and arm. And so there's no, like, bringing the arm down. Yeah. But the video that Sarah Sanders is showing now and that conservatives are favoring is the one where he is bringing his arm down on top of hers in that defensive move. And that's how I would describe it as a defensive move. Yeah. So she tweeted, President Trump believes in a free press and expects and welcomes tough questions of him and his administration get the fuck out of here we will however never tolerate a reporter placing his hands on a young woman just trying to do her job as a white house intern hang on that did not happen you should not tolerate a reporter putting his hands on a young female intern that is out of control and unacceptable however uh, that's not what happened. Yeah, and one thing I want to say here is, why are we just now like coming to this conclusion hours after the events? Right, right. Jim Acosta was essentially nose-to-nose with Donald Trump. Front row. And they were standing face-to-face. So this happened right in front of Donald Trump. So you're telling me that the President of the United States witnessed a man putting his hands on a young White House intern, and he, and he did nothing? Right. He didn't do anything in the moment. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. He didn't do anything in the moment to stop it and address it. Really, really. And everyone everyone in that room. It sounds very serious that no one in the moment thought she was assaulted. Right. So Sarah Sanders continues, this conduct is absolutely unacceptable. It is also completely disrespectful to the reporter's colleagues not to allow them an opportunity to ask a question. President Trump has given the press more access than any president uh, in history. Contrary to CNN's... That's why they have one press conference a month, one White House press briefing. Contrary to CNN's assertions, there is no greater demonstration of the president's support for a free press than the event he held today. Only they would attack the president for not supporting a free press in the midst of him taking 68 questions from 35 different reporters over the course of 1.5 hours, including several from the reporter in question. They're not using his name anymore. It's like Voldemort. The fact that... The fact that CNN is proud of the way their employee behaved is not only disgusting, it's an example of their outrageous disregard for everyone, including young women who work in this administration. As a result of today's incident, the White House is suspending the hard pass of the reporter involved until further notice. Uh. All right. Well, don't just take our word for it. (laughs) I mean, you should, because we're giving you the straight scoop here. Let's listen to Fox News and their fucking weird slanted take about what happened. Chris Dyerwalt joins me now, Fox News politics editor. What do you think? This is great news for Jim Acosta, <laughs> who the uh, news about Jeff Sessions had overshadowed um, he, all of the clip rolls that he was probably going to get to watch tonight uh, and do all the hits and talk about himself as the center of this story had gotten blown away by Jeff Sessions. But now... With this revelation, it brings him back to the pulsating core of the pointless conflict between this administration and reporters. So you think the White House made a mistake doing it because it just gives him more attention? No, I think it works for the White House. I think it works. I think that this pointless bickering uh, and unprofessional, childish behavior 
serves both sides of the equation. I think they both get what they want out of it. John Stewart said the other day that the president is so smart and that he knows that if he appeals to the vanity of reporters, that they will take the bait. I watched a bunch of good questions in that press conference. I watched our, of course, John Roberts do yep. it, but Major Garrett, uh, down the line, Absolutely. national and international, good substantive questions. And we get to ask so few questions of this president, relatively speaking. Why are you wasting them for these performative, this, this silliness to do this stuff? And now the White House gets to keep the story going which is we're at war with the lying press, the enemy of the people. Aren't you the enemy of the people? Who cares? Who on earth cares except for the fact that it serves the interests of both this administration and that reporter? And Chris Wallace uh, said today that he thought that uh, Jim Acosta embarrassed, embarrassed himself. It was um, absurd. And he thought it was rude. So we'll see where it goes from here. The drama continues. And as you point out, the president has said, you know, it, I mean, it gets everybody off the subject. Um, gets everybody uh, off the subject. News. That's right. Um, so we'll see where it goes. Oh, they're so worried about covering the news. Yeah, it really lets you know exactly about that, that they're so worried about covering the news that that Jim Acosta's question about painting the caravan of immigrants who are coming largely to request asylum, mm -hmm. painting them as invaders. Yeah. That, that's not a valid question. And also... Still asking the president about his categorization of the constitutionally protected free press as the enemy of the people of the United States of America. Fuck you, Steyerwalt. Th th that is... And also, quit invoking Chris Wallace like he's respectable anymore. He gave that card up last week. Also, I want to say, where is the migrant caravan discussion now? Now that the midterms are over, are you right, are you yeah. hearing about it? Right. Is it on Fox News's front page? No, it's not. You actually had to scroll pretty far down in order to find the story on the website this morning. The other thing that I think is interesting here is, you know, who's not making hay of this? Who's not running this like it's a giant story? CNN. Yeah. Fox News is talking about it like it's a big deal. Right. I've been watching CNN all night long. Mm-hmm. And they didn't mention it. It wasn't mentioned yeah. in the hours that I spent watching the show. They talked about it initially. Yeah. And then they moved on to talk about Jeff Sessions and everything else that Donald Trump is desperately trying to distract us from. Yeah, I do want to say one thing because so one thing about having a podcast is there is a certain segment of people that are always going to hear what they want to hear and will be completely immune from any explanation <laughs> to the contrary. So right. um, I'm going to try this again, but I just want to make sure that people know that I'm not defending the White House in this case. And I am 100% on Jim Acosta's side. And I do not believe that what he did is inappropriate. But I do think it is not accurate to say that he didn't touch her. Yeah. There was contact. 100% it, there was contact. And it's okay to admit that because it was a defensive move. She, she was, was grabbing in, at yes. him many, many times. Yes. And he was trying to be polite saying, excuse me, ma'am, and continue to hold the microphone while he's being repeatedly grabbed by this person. Listen, I, I agree with that 100%. I think that her job is to stick her hand out and let him know, hey, it's now time to give me the microphone. Yeah, sure. It's not it, her job to wrestle it, it from if reporters. He, if he chooses not to give it, that's up to him. Yeah. And I think there is an argument to be made. I don't buy it, but there is an argument to be made 
that it's not his job to continue to bogart that mic and ask as many questions as he wants. Mm-hmm. He does need to be respectful of the time of the other journalists to ask their questions too. That's valid. If you want to have that discussion, write the fuck on. Let's do that. Right. However, it wasn't an assault. No. He wasn't being out of line. Right. He's asking journalistic questions of interest and importance to the American people. And defensive contact when someone is repeatedly grabbing at you and in your space is very different from putting your hands on a woman. Yeah. You use that phrase when you're trying to invoke imagery of abuse. That's right. An assault of a woman. That's what she's trying to do. Yeah. So distraction and that's all we're going to talk about that i mean we talked about it a fucking lot too much i think but i wanted to put the whole thing in context and also say that this isn't the news of the day the news of the day is the jeff sessions firing matthew whitaker and matthew whitaker and then there's some also some other things that happened during the press conference that are just (laughs) come on man (laughs) there's a reporter for pbs and her name is yamish alcinder and she asked a question about Donald Trump's claim that he's a nationalist. Right. A completely rational, present, topical question that I, among many other millions of people, really want an answer to. Yeah, I would have liked to hear it. And instead, he doesn't answer it. He deflects with the most ridiculous accusation against this black reporter's question. Hi, Mr. President. Yemi Shelsender with PBS NewsHour. Um, on the campaign trail, you called yourself a nationalist. Some people saw that as emboldening white nationalists. Now people are also I don't saying know why you'd that say the president. That's such a racist question. There are question. some people that say that no. now the Republican Party is seen as supporting white nationalists oh, because of your rhetoric. What do you that. make of that? I don't believe it. I just, well, I don't know. Why do I have my highest poll numbers ever with African Americans? Why do I have among the highest poll numbers with African Americans? I mean, why do I have my highest poll numbers? That's such a racist question. Honestly, I mean, I know you have it written down and you're going to tell me. Let me tell you, it's a racist question. And Mr. Uh, President, I, I love ask- You know what the word is? I love our country. I do. You, call, you have nationalists, you have globalists. I also love the world. And I don't mind helping the world. But we have to straighten out our country first. We have a lot of problems. And Ms. Excuse me. But to say that, what you said, is so insulting to me. It's a very terrible thing that you said. So I love this woman, and I immediately went to follow her on Twitter right after this happened uh, because she was fantastic at maintaining her composure. I was just going to say, unflappable. Right. I, he's being an aggressive dick, and she was having none of it. Not is even he, addressing it. Is he fucking listening to himself right oh, now? Oh, God. <laughs> But yes, okay, so she's asking a very legitimate question that we would like to know the answer to. And how how does Donald Trump calling himself a nationalist and the connection to white supremacy and riling up these figures, what does he think about all that? Well, I tell you what he thinks. He answers with, you have nationalists, code for white nationalists, white supremacists, and you have globalists, which is code for Jews. Mm-hmm. So he claims she's racist and then goes right back to the racist fucking dog whistles. Yeah, but his son-in-law is Jewish, Jesse. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. I'm sick of fucking tired of hearing that. Let me tell you. He's got Jewish grandchildren. His daughter is Jewish. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. Come the fuck on. Yes. 
Ugh. Mm-hmm. Every time someone says that, I just hear fucking Gav McGinnis in my ear. Yeah. We're not white supremacists. We're Western chauvinists. Mm-hmm. Ugh. <laughs> that was a really good impression of him. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. That's what I do. Uh-huh. So anyway, um, here's April Ryan, who was there. And then next, we're going to play, actually, um, give me shit, Al Cinder. She's going to talk about exactly what happened and her reaction. But first, April Ryan. Yeah, I was I was in the room, and I was um, taken aback to hear him say that was a racist statement uh, or a racist question. This president said that he's a nationalist. Define what a nationalist means. Um, when he said he was a nationalist, there were people in the black community uh, that were up at arms about it. Uh, when you say the word nationalist, all, you know, they feel that you have to put white next to it. And that's the white supremacist groups and, and white supremacy. And Yamish asked a real question because there is a concern about saying he's a nationalist. He is a white man who is a nationalist. And there are people who are concerned that that is code for white nationalists. What the president has to do now at this moment is to explain what his white nationalism, well, what his nationalism means as there is a linkage of white nationalists, but he's a nationalist. It's confusing, but there is a concern about it. And Yamish is now, um, she has the residue of hate. You know, he called her statement or question uh, racist and he was insulted. It was not meant to be insulting. It was meant to get clarity on what he was saying. That's all. One, not the greatest, most clear answer in the world. The part that was clear and was um, poignant is the fact that we do need an answer. What exactly the fuck do you mean by nationalist, Donald Trump? Yeah. Now you're just, you're out there saying it while screaming about globalists. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why racists speak in code. It's because if they were to come right out with their beliefs, it would be wildly socially unacceptable. So they've learned to combat that, to skirt the issue by using code words and code language that they, they can all wink. Oh, I just said nationalist. What do you mean? I'm just talking about globalists. Mm-hmm. When they're talking about white supremacy and they're talking about Jews. Yeah, that's a really important point. I am going to talk about something completely unrelated. Uh <laughs> <laughs> So, sorry, not good at transitioning, but I want everyone to take a note of this exchange. Uh, right, hang on. Yeah. Lick my pencil that I don't have in my hand? Yes. Literally you know, like write you this down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. Do it. Um, here we talk about licking the tip. I did hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting really late. Talk about unrelated. It's getting really late, and we've been in, under a lot of stress. Should and, I start coughing into the mic? And I think the podcast is quite long at this point, but we're going still. So here we go. Um, Sarah Sanders <laughs> tweeted about how no president has been this transparent with the press or whatever or loves the press so much and all that. Look at how he answered Jim Acosta's questions. Yeah. Look at how he answered this woman's questions. The responses that he had to people, this is not transparency. This is not valuing uh, freedom of the press. This is not showing that you want to give information to the American people that's not what this is. So it's it's very disturbing that Sarah Sanders continues to lie 
without consequence and without concern for what she's doing. I'm, um, (sighs) she's a figure for me that, look, the first round of Donald Trump's hires seemed to be people he thought would work out and he really didn't know everybody. And then he quickly learned who was going to be the most Trump flavor. You know what I mean? And Sean Spicer wasn't that exact flavor. He was shitty and he was terrible, but he wasn't that next level shitty and terrible. And that's what Sarah Huckabee Sanders is. She is, if I believed in souls, soulless. She is someone who doesn't have a core constitution about her that will sell it down the fucking river for fame, for power, for connection to power. And that's what we're witnessing. And it's, it's scary because these people do have power. So anyway, let, let, let's get back on track. Let's finish with this. Yamish, Yamish Alcindor, the woman from PBS, the black female reporter who asked the question, what was her reaction to this? Yamish, tell us what was going on there. Well, the president really, his, his tense relationship with the media was on full display in a rare way today. The president had been talking to other reporters and really railing against them. He called reporters rude, hostile, unfair. Those were reporters working with CNN, NBC, other networks. By the time I posed my question, the president had been pacing at the podium just moments before. He was already kind of hyped up and amped up um, and and really frustrated with the media. And the president is on the defense because he doesn't like talking about his rhetoric. He doesn't like that there are some white nationalists who are supporting the president. But that that question that I posed today was very timely because just today, Patrick Casey, a leader of Identity Europa, which is which the Southern Poverty Law Center says is part of the alt-right and white nationalist movement, tweeted that he was at the White House today. So as the president said that the question was racist, and I, he, he was literally having white nationalists at the White House. I've posed the question to Sarah Sanders, why, why was Patrick Casey here and what, who was he meeting with, who invited him? I haven't gotten a response from the White House yet, but that's a, that's a really, I think, um, something that people are looking at and are very concerned that there are white nationalists walking around in the White House, as the president said that just asking about them is racist. Well, you were doing your job as a reporter, and uh, Michelle Sendor, we thank you. And we thank you, too. Let me say this. Uh, Identity Europa is not... It's it, She's being very reporterish about it. Identity Europa is absolutely a white supremacist organization. You know that, that uh, Richard Spencer sycophant, that little short former Marine blonde guy who punched that woman that we had on the show? Mm-hmm. He is a member of Identity Europa, mm-hmm. an avowed white supremacist who is calling for a, 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 an ethno state. He, they want to ethnically cleanse the United States. And they had Patrick Casey, the head of that organization, wandering around in the White House. Yep. The same day he's talking about nationalism. So come on. Let's not fucking play games here. This is why elections matter. This is why staying outraged is a good thing, but the doom and the gloom isn't really helpful. Mm -hmm. Allow yourself that time to cope with not the outcome that you wanted. 
but maintain that fire and that passion to get shit done. Because we are in a battle for the soul of this country. And it's too late in the show to get super preachy about it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it is. But, but, I think uh, you're going for it. I'm uh, not going for it. We're going to end the show. But listen, everybody. The 2020, the, 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 the road to 2020 is only a few months away. Six or seven months. No more than eight months. And we're going to be in the fucking thick of it. That's why I'm already thinking about it. I already that's said right. 2020. Earlier in the show. That's yeah. right. It's a callback. Just a callback. Mm. So anyway, listen, we're here with you. We're here to support you. We want to provide this forum for the times that you're glum. Don't feel like I'm judging you for being down. I'm not. I'm trying to motivate you to stay outraged, to stay pissed off, to stay active. Because we have a long fight ahead of us. But we're going to be here with you. We'd love to hear from you. Sound off. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We want you to help us move the conversation forward. But until then, next time, we will see you. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore. This has been I Doubt. You hate happiness. <laughs> wow, you're going to pile on, too. <laughs>